1: Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading die. I actually begin at verse 22 in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 22, 1 Peter. That's found on page 1014 of the Blue Bible. but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to, to salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, Let's
0: see God's blessing as we come to His Word together. Lord, we are encouraged that You have given us this Word by men who, as Peter says in the second letter, that they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what they say is not of their own interpretation. We thank You, Lord, that this is none other than Your Word the word of the living God, the word who's create, the God who's has created us. And Lord, it speaks of the most glorious things, the things most critical for our life and for the life of humanity. May we, Lord, submit ourselves to it. May we humble ourselves before it. May we give ourselves uh, gladly to know it and to live it out in our lives. Oh, Lord, give us faith. Uh, give us eyes to see wonderful things from your word. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen. One of the ongoing struggles we all have is getting into the word of God and and being motivated to keep going after the word of God. Um, We probably, many of you can remember times where you're really into the word and then times where you're not so much into the word and right now may be one of those times um, we are going to look at that particular thing this morning of some, hopefully some motives and encouragements and beautiful things about God's Word that could encourage us all the more to gladly, happily give ourselves to it. And this is going to be part of a, a, three, a three-part series on this section uh, on priesthood, the title, Me, a Priest. And this first section is The Priesthood and the Word. The second section next week is going to be the priesthood and worship. And then the last one, the priesthood and witness. And, of course, those are going to correspond with Palm Sunday, uh, a wonderful time to talk about the stone that the builders rejected, that week of his rejection, and yet he's made the chief cornerstone. And then in the resurrection, forming us as a new people so that we are witnesses before the world. So I think it's going to work nicely even as we come to Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday as well. So the word, worship, and witness of we who are priests, of us who are priests to God. Priesthood, as he points to in verse 4 and 5, especially verse 5 talking about a holy priesthood, means that we are intimate with God and it means that we have an intimacy with Him in the Word and in worship, but we also mediate His presence to the world and that brings us to witness. Okay? So we are the ones brought into intimacy with God through His Word and in worship of Him, then this Word and worship turns itself out as we mediate his presence and his glory and his word to to a dark world. That's who we are. That's what we are. It's what we've been formed as, the people of God, as he says. We who were not a people, now we are the people of God. We who were darkness, as Paul says, uh, now are the sons of light. Amazing calling that we have now to mediate the very presence of God in the world. And on the one hand, that means that we must be... Uh, enlivened in our involvement in God's Word and worship, right? This has to be a lively, controlling, uh, glorious thing for us to even have a witness to the world. We're not just talking about something we don't know or that we don't experience that doesn't affect us regularly, that doesn't just govern the way we think about life. We're, We're talking about our very life with God and then talking to others about that. So, we'll this morning talk about His his Word. And originally, I thought that we would start with chapter 2, verse 1, and that's why it's in the bulletin. But the more I looked at it, the more I thought we just have to take in back to verse 22. And that's why I had Ben read that as well. And here's kind of the essence of what we'll deal with in in terms of, of the Word that we have been born anew by this word and, and basically we've been born to love by this word. That's, that's where Paul begins. We've been born again to a new life of love. And in the light of that, he gives this commandment in chapter 2 verse 1 that we must put away everything that opposes that love and we must give ourselves up to this Word that reveals the God of love. It's kind of the feel of this. We've been born by the Word to a new life of love. Therefore, we must put away anything that opposes that love, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. And then give ourselves to this Word which reveals the God of love. And that points to verse 3. You've tasted that the Lord is good. So... Uh, that's our, our basic uh, move through this passage. Now, as always, the, the word so, or it means therefore in verse 1, you always have to say, well, what's it there for? right? So, he, you, you go back to this uh, interesting uh, verse 22 where he says, to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This This command to love one another earnestly is based on two foundations that are given by two supporting verbs before and after. But they're really saying the same thing, just saying it in a different way. They're talking about the same thing, but they say it in a different way. So, he says, Having been purified by your obedience to the truth for this brotherly love, that's the one foundation, Love one another, and then here's the second foundation since you've been born again. But these verbs are the same kind of verbs. Uh, in fact, you could translate them having been purified, having been born again. They're really talking about the same thing. Having been born again is explained in verse 22 as having been purified for love. That's a wonderful definition of being regenerated, of having been born again. Having been born again means you've purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. So our response to the truth must be a response to a truth that reveals love and calls us to love and recreates love in our lives because that's what obedience to the truth is, a sincere brotherly love. And this, in turn... It's what it means to be born again. And it's on that basis of this renewal of our lives through the word that that Peter can give this command, then love one another earnestly uh, from a pure heart. So uh, in this passage, I'm missing page one. Oh, well, let's just talk about it. (laughs) I'm like looking down and saying, uh, where is page one of this? Um, so the, the, the point he's making then is in, in coming to verse, uh, of chapter 2, verse 1, is that you must, in line with loving one another sincerely from a pure heart, in keeping with that desire to love one another earnestly, then you must put away all these things that oppose that love. So when you first read verse 1, it's not so clear to follow, but actually it's right in line. In fact, this is another one of those supporting verbs. So putting away all malice. In fact, perhaps the best translation is, and so having put away all malice and all deceit. So having been purified for love, having been born again, and having put away all these things. Now, it doesn't mean that you've put them away and you'll never do it again. But it does mean that in a fundamental way, you have turned your back on that kind of lifestyle. You've turned your back on cultivating these things in your life, feeding these things, letting them run like a disease in your life. Giving yourselves to them. You and I, by submitting ourselves to Christ, are saying no fundamentally to all that would oppose love. We're saying that we will not live in it. We will not promote it. We will fight against it. We will war against it. We will seek to root it out of our lives. And the idea of putting away is uh, putting off clothing. It's used in Acts 7.58 where... uh, uh, Surrounding Stephen's uh, persecution and death, they put off their clothes at the feet of the young man Saul. So throughout Scripture, this is a, a spiritual metaphor for putting off our old life and putting on our new life of Christ. And in this case, it's part of putting off that which opposes love and putting on all that that is love and he talks about these, these details like deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Uh, deceit, that is lying to someone and making them think that you like them or you mean something or you are something when you're really not. Okay, Two-faced before them. And then interesting, the word slander, but you talk about them behind their back as well. Interesting combination. You deceive, and you're, we, we by nature deceive, and we're hypocrites to somebody's face, but we don't mind slandering behind their back. And so often, it's because of that fourth term, envy. We want what somebody wants, we want their power, we want their popularity, we want their gifts, we want the attention they have, and so we want to play up to them, but or manipulate them or use them but we don't mind talking about them when we're when they're not around and no wonder that all of this is called malice malice these are just the different parts of malice deceit and deception and hypocrisy and envy and slander and to to say to put it off means And to say it across the boards, it means all of us are infected with this. All of us participate in this in one way or another. And all of us must have this new birth that comes through the word of God that sets us free from this corruption that we are. Nothing less than the new birth through his word frees us. And and notice the word in verse 22, purifies your soul for this new obedience to the truth. And it's wonderful that obedience to the truth is so richly connected to sincere brotherly love. They're, they're, they're thought of one is the same thing. There can't be any obedience to the truth. That is, trusting in Christ, trusting in the truth of the gospel, except there be... Uh, sincere brotherly love. They're, they're just joined uh, inseparably together. And so, as a part of our following Christ, we're putting away all malice and deceit, and hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Now, interesting, the, the, the commandment from verse 22, which is to love one another, having purified, having been born again, having put away malice and deceit, The next command is verse 2 of chapter 2, long for the pure spiritual milk. So, these are the two commands of this section. Love one another with a sincere brotherly love and long for the pure milk. Long for the spiritual milk. And, And the idea is that you're longing for the pure spiritual milk, which is understood to be the teaching and the word of God, Because this is what promotes that love. This is what causes you to be born into a new life of love, right? And so, putting away these things, long for this pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. Understood in the context that salvation is more and more to be set free from those things in verse 1. And more and more saved for the true love uh, from the heart. But here's the real key to it. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, you may be familiar with uh, Psalm 34 verse 8, where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, Peter is taking that phrase, Psalm 34 8, and he's making the gospel to be the truth truest and greatest taste of the Lord's goodness. He's saying that the gospel you've heard and that gospel now that you will long for is because you've tasted the, the goodness of the Lord in it. It's such because the gospel reveals the great accomplishment of Jesus Christ. So in your hearing about Christ... You have, in a richer way than even the psalmist could know, taste and see that the Lord is good. You have tasted to see that the Lord is good. You've tasted Him in Jesus Christ. And and earlier in chapter 1, he talks about this in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and following. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That is, this was God's plan before the world was made that He would give this lamb. And finally, in time, He was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. By the way, parenthesis, the last times, the last days. They're not in the future. They're started at the time of Christ. That's, that's a whole nother session. Um, but... Notice, He was made manifest for you. Here's the good news. Here, The announcement of this precious death of Christ for sinners is the truth that was spoken to them. This is the imperishable Word, the imperishable seed. This is the living and abiding Word of God that they have believed. And when we begin to believe in this gracious Christ who in love died for us sinners, we're born into this new life of love when we begin to trust Christ and love Christ and adore Christ for what He's done for us, we begin then to love others. We taste the Lord's goodness and we're transformed. And that's why he can say, putting aside all that opposes love, long for this pure milk because you've tasted His goodness in it. Keep tasting His goodness in it. Keep knowing Him in it. We taste His goodness in this gospel. The taste and warmth of His goodness begins to break up the frozen wasteland of our badness. That's the wonderful thing about this word. The glory of His love shines into our dark dungeon hearts that are so devoted to self and it begins to set us free to walk in this glorious sunshine of selfless love. And as he says, it is the Lord himself that we taste, the Lord Jesus. This is an amazing statement of of Jesus' deity because obviously in uh, Psalm 34, 8, he's talking about Yahweh, talking about the God of Israel. He just transfers it over to the Lord Jesus. As the next verse shows, we're talking about Jesus here. You've tasted that the Lord is good. Another place where uh, it transfers from Yahweh to Christ and so the very goodness of God is conveyed to us through Christ. Uh, we, we experience God's kindness and goodness in Christ, confronted with the very love of God in Christ, spilling over all boundaries, flowing abundantly into our, you might say, desert lives, uh, to begin to the, the forest reclamation of our hearts, washing us clean uh, of our guilt through his precious blood. And this can change your approach then to the Word, right? When you realize that you're coming to it to come after this, this God who's revealed in it, to, to taste more of His goodness. And knowing that tasting that goodness can continue to set you free for more and more love. Uh, Marshall writes this, They should not be like children who eat milk puddings... Doesn't sound very good, does it? Milk pudding, which they don't really like because they have been repeatedly told by their mother, it's good for you, but more like children who consume ice cream with gusto. That's the idea. Crave it. Desire it. Not like you have to eat milk pudding. (laughs) But digging into ice cream that you can't wait to get to. Which would you rather have for dessert? Bland cold cream of wheat or or Haagen-Dazs? You know, which, what would be your feeling about the one? Oh, we're going to have cream of wheat. It's cold. It's tasteless, but we're going to have cream of wheat for dessert. You know, and you just think, I'm going to eat till I'm so stuffed. I can't eat any dessert. I'm sorry. Just avoid it. Which is, interestingly, much of our lives just stuffing it with everything else but that word because we really don't want it. We really don't want it. If you've got a dessert that you can't wait to get to, you save room for it, don't you? <laughs> in fact, you might think, I'm gonna fudge a bit and I'm gonna start my meal with this in case I die before I get to it. <laughs> you know? You've ever done that? Eat dessert first, goes, who knows? I may have a heart attack and I'll never get to it, you know, right? With that, our attitude toward his word, you see, that it comes first, and we make room for it because we can't wait to get to it. It's Haagen-Dazs for us. When our oldest son Chase woke up in the middle of the night looking for his bottle, of course he was frantic. But he, it, of course, it was the cry of death, the cry of ultimate despair and grief, and his hands reflected it because his hands were just like this, you know. Ah, and you had to kind of maneuver the bottle through the hands, you know, to get to the mouth. But I just loved every night. I couldn't wait to see this happen. Hands, hands, hands. and then. Into <laughs> it, just stiff, straight out, you know, and they just stayed like that forever, <laughs> as though he said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 oh yeah, yeah, don't don't move that, don't don't move that bottle, don't move that bottle," <laughs> you know, just that sense. And that's really what he's capturing here, you know, the baby's longing for milk, and longing for milk, of course, the flavor. But it's like the whole, it's like his whole life is bound up in that, and it really is. Baby knows, I, I will die without this milk. You know, there's, there's something deep within him that demands that I have milk. I can't do without it. And, and that's real. A wonderful, wonderful, joyful, yet necessary longing for this. And that's the picture Peter paints for us. That we're to be hooked on this word. Addicted to this word. Obsessed with this word. It's so essential because it conveys God Himself to us. That's His point. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, long for it because you've tasted the Lord in it. Keep tasting Him in it. Go after Him in it. You know, in John 17:2, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So, eternal life is not defined as to how long you live, but with whom you live. That's eternal life. It's not defined by the length of life, but by the fellowship of God in your life. And without that fellowship, you're as good as dead, according to the Bible. And that fellowship is maintained in no other way than your connection to this word, to taste and see this good Lord that is found in it. I was told yesterday that the Louvre uh, in Paris has 365 rooms. I don't know if that's true, but I was told that by somebody that I think knows. Uh, And so you could actually spend a day for every room, right? Here's the day for this room, a day for that room. And every room, of course, you're you're surrounded by the treasures of culture from around the world and And if we think of Scripture that way, every part of Scripture is a different room of the treasures of God. It's a different room of the fellowship with God, of knowing God. As Christ said in several ways that the Scriptures speak of Him. Scriptures are unfolding uh, the story of Him. In some way, every part of the Old Testament is a preparation for Christ. It's a foreshadowing of Christ, a preview of Christ, a kind of teaser for Christ. The trailer for the movie that opened up Christmas morning. That's what even the Old Testament is. And so we can taste of the Lord throughout Scripture. And of course, the word is harder in some places, and it's very hard in some other places. But I speak to probably mainly the guys here, but some women too. Golf is also, right? (laughs) If we approached the difficulty of the word like we do the difficulty of golf, getting out there again and again and again, sometimes actually enjoying it, even though we're still so bad at it right? Trying to get our handicap under 20, hopefully, okay? And it's it's obvious that even something that we're not that good at, something that we find very hard to master, we still love it. How about the Word? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, the places where it's hard, places where it's not as hard, but let's give ourselves to it. Uh the key, I think, then to have this passion for the Word is that you're seeking out God and His glory in this Word. It's, it's like a hike in the Alps. It's like a safari in Africa. It's like being on a cruise ship around Alaska or the coast of Greece. It's, it, you're seeing glory here. That's what you're after. That's what you pray for. That's what you Long for and, and, and seek Him in, to get into these rooms of glory, to, to walk in them and discover them and study them and learn them and be in awe and fall in love with God again and again and again. And ask Him to show you His greatness and goodness. You know He wants to make you savor His glory infinitely more than you want it. You, you, he will answer that prayer, Lord, make me to savor your goodness and glory in the Word. He will answer that prayer. And and this attitude toward the Word can inform all of your interaction with God's people, can inform why you would choose to come an hour earlier and join the people of God to study the Word together or, or join your, the people of God in discussions during the week and just to say, I'm, I'm coming after that Word. I want to hear and know that Word. And in worship, it's just suffused with the Word. We're seeking to taste the Lord in His Word from the beginning call of worship to the final benediction. It's the Word of God going forth. Our confessions, our assurances of pardon, our prayers are suffused with his word. Uh, everything is fixed upon his word. And so we come to savor him in every part of, of worship. And, he, of course, in the reading and preaching of his word, we're seeking to set forth the greatness and goodness and glory of God. We're trying to take you through a few more rooms, Right? Look, 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 look at this. Look on this wall. Look, look here. That, that's the whole point of preaching is to show you the glory of God, show you the goodness to explain His beauty and His majesty and how He's yours for the taking, how He's yours for forgiveness and He's yours for comfort and daily strength, how He's present with you and will be present with you if you trust Him to work in the midst of every difficulty even in your life. To work it for good. We're, We're trying to make known the greatness of this God. Take you through some words. And so, come to worship looking for him. You know, come hungry for him. Come expecting him to reveal himself to you. And then, take the word with you. Review it. Pray through it. Ask the Lord to bless its truth to your life. Memorize parts of it have dealings with God's Word. The the point is to get it into your life and your thinking and your feeling and believing and praying and doing. You want to plant it and root it it firmly in your life. I I, I used to be fascinated by these contests. I hadn't seen one in a long time where it was usually a grocery store contest and you were given five minutes and anything you could throw into the basket and get up front in five minutes, it was yours. you, You know, people had walked through the aisles plotting where the nicest things, the best things. Of course they're going for, you know, steaks and expensive wine if it had or whatever it is, you know, they're not they're not going for, I'm gonna get eight boxes of salt, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. You're gonna get the best things possible. So imagine that you have this contest and it's in a, a pretty nice upscale department store, and uh you wisely say I'm going to the jewelry department, and i'm going to get all the things I can muster and you you do you get in there and gather you've got your five minutes and you're walking out you know with this huge thing it's everything you can carry, so you're going out but on the way out they've put a walmart like or dollar store like array of gadgets and trinkets okay, and you're sitting here with all your riches and you're like. Ooh, Donald Duck tweezers. <laughs> Reach out and get the Donald Duck tweezers and there goes about $8,000. you know. And then you say, oh, gummy elephants and giraffes. I've never seen gummy elephants. I've got to get those. And you pick them up and there goes about $80,000 out of your hand. And then, oh, a toothbrush with a light. Ah, that's just perfect. So, oh, a little plastic cat you put pennies in. It's a kitty bank. Oh, that's just wonderful. And finally, you're reaching out a coffee cup with Southern Connecticut State. There is a Southern Connecticut State logo on it. I got to have that cup. And so, instead of walking out with $185,000, you walk out with $26.79, right? I want to paint the picture for you that way, because sometimes I think Monday morning, we've got $26.79, you know. And through the week, it's almost sometimes as though we didn't even, we weren't even there. Sometimes ask, and, and I know, granted, you can always make the excuse and it's valid. Well, if you heard our guy, you wouldn't remember what he said either. You know? Okay, so, granted. But we're not here, we're here because no matter the strength or weakness of the instrument, it's God's Word that is here, right? It's God's Word that is held for. And by God's grace, we want to preserve and conserve and safeguard and care for this Word. That begins even with the preparation to engage, a preparation to understand, oh Lord, I'm coming to read your word, to hear your word throughout worship, and to hear it proclaimed, oh Lord, may I give myself to that word. And of course, in line with our uh, talking about preparation, in line with our passage itself, you can do a lot worse. Then examine your life for remaining malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander and casting them off. Either at some point, maybe it's Saturday night, it's Sunday morning, it's some kind of preparation for receiving His Word. That's one of the reasons we have confession before we come to His Word. It's that idea of bringing our sins before Him. And this sets such an important frame for hearing His Word, right? We're coming against sin when we come to His Word. We're coming already leaning into love, running after love, cultivating love when we come to His Word. And it's a great check on our attitude in worship. Because if you don't come standing against your own sin, you tend to use the Word not only to reinforce your sin, but you tend to see others' need of the Word you 've probably never had that experience like me. I hope she gets this right I hope so and so is listening right now instead of, "Oh Lord God, I need to hear this oh lord god, i 'm freshly aware of the envy in my heart and the malice of my heart. Oh Lord, I need your precious, precious word, And so when we come to this word, we have such we 're so much more aware. If we are confessing our sins. And so much aware, more aware of this life-giving Savior whose love is such a contrast of our own. It produces, this kind of preparation produces a humility and a brokenness, doesn't it? As we come to His Word. And that's, as He says in Isaiah, that's my dwelling place. I dwell among the broken and the helpless and the humble. That's where He loves to work. And so... As we taste the goodness of God who has loved us so passionately, obviously we will not continue to love, uh, to refuse to love our brother. It's the very means by which the world knows that we're his disciples. I think putting off these sins helps us understand that the Word is not just about me, it's about us, it's about our fellowship, it's about our community. It helps strip the fantasy that I can have this private pity me party that God is so happy to attend. You no, know, that's our tendency. But no, it frees me from my uh, tendency to say I love God when I'm actively hating my brother or sister. John wrote this, First John 4, If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Putting off these sins and longing for the pure milk of the word keeps us from being such liars, doesn't it? Gives us a true honesty before the throne of God. It keeps us from playing a game with God, somehow turning him into a doting, distracted aunt who holds our hand and gives us ice cream while we spit on the children around us. I'm not going to play that game. He loves us and is going to promote that love in our hearts, setting us free from destructive sin in our lives. Blessed be his holy name. Let us pray. O oh Lord. We thank you that we are born again through the Word of God, the precious Word of Christ, that in obedience to this truth, Lord, we are, we've are we begun this process of purifying ourselves for sincere love. And by your grace, then, we can hear this command to love one another fervently. And we can put off all of these things that oppose love and and long for this Word which so gloriously reveals to us this Christ and and enables us to taste the goodness of God and then even, amazingly, to become more and more good like He is. As, As Paul says in Ephesians 5, that one of the fruit of the Spirit is love and goodness. Goodness. Oh, Lord, thank you that you really are making us more and more good, like you are good. May we all the more then give ourselves to this word, looking for your glory, going on the wild safari, ready to taste the glory of our great God who will so readily reveal himself to us. We pray this for the sake of Jesus.
1: Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times,
0: directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address
1: is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.
0: Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light. Oh, come with blissful